Well, hello to our Bedford viewing audience. Welcome to the first episode of what we hope will be a regular show on BCTV entitled Heads Up. I'm Sue Mullen and with me is my co-host, Diane Vaccarello. Uh, welcome, Diane. Thanks, Sue. Great to be with you and to talk about so much today. All right, so Diane, um, I know that you are in a similar position to me in the sense that Bill Jennings has been trying to get you in front of this camera for a very long time. True. So share with our uh, viewing audience how this show came to be and what the, what the sort of overall concept is. Yeah, it, it's been um, something I've been interested in doing. It, it's a matter of finding the time and the, the person. You are someone who I'm happy to have this conversation with so that between the two of us, we can really share to a greater, broader audience um, some of the things that I think are important to get out there in a way that's more than just one person or family at a time. As you know, I'm a mental health provider here in the town of Bedford. Um, a group private practice that we do our best to maintain services within our catchment area, but the need is really, really great. And so we are, um, you know, seeing individuals, one family and one individual at a time. We'd love to get messages out a lot broader than that, especially given uh, the mental health challenges with things like the pandemic. Right, right. So Diane, you and I first came to know each other professionally mm -hmm. because in my work as a school counselor and your work in opening what was then a new practice in Bedford, exactly. um, we were in each other's space quite a bit in terms of referrals and sort of reaching out and trying to let the community know what was available in terms of services. Uh, then I knew you as a mom Exactly, back in 2004. Right, which was a totally different experience, uh, equally as fun, but a different experience. Yes. Uh, and since that time, I mean, since those early days of you opening the practice mm -hmm. and then you're coming into my middle school world as a mom, the community, the population of the community has grown tremendously. Absolutely. The providers in the community have not, the numbers of providers in the community have not grown tremendously. Exactly. So what has happened? How has that translated into what your office is able to do, what you would like to do, and why we're on this screen today? Great question. So since early 2000s, starting the practice, growing the practice to the number of providers that we have, um, constantly searching for qualified licensed providers in the state. It's been the most difficult thing to um, meet the, the needs that are out there. And, you know, as you're mentioning, it's always been a problem ongoing in terms of being able to not turn people away who are looking for those services on a daily basis. Right. So now, you know, with um, this past year, it's been harder than ever. Um, we don't have enough providers because of a variety of reasons. Um, we can certainly get into that more. Um, but bottom line is the needs of um, 
folks emotionally and mentally, it's not decreasing, it's increasing is the bottom line. And, you know, we've uh, one in five adults in the United States has a struggle with mental illness. And those numbers, you know, we could spend a lot of time today going through specific statistics and numbers, but just suffice it to say for now, it is skyrocketing. And so that's part of the reason why now, you know, when Bill has approached me in the past, you know, it's been difficult to find the time where we're working as many hours, you know, as it feels like we could work 24 seven and not even be begin to touch. So um, we need to do something different um, to get messaging out there and um, education out there. So that's what we're doing. You and I have talked a little bit um, in the past about if there is such a thing as the upside of COVID, yeah. One of the one of the upsides of COVID is that for a lot of us, uh, we have been spurred on to doing things that we either didn't think that we were capable of doing, or that went from being something on the back burner to maybe emergent. Yes, and uh, I think that's what's happened in terms of mental health across the age spectrum in our community. Certainly, as the pandem- pandemic has hit, uh, things that we thought about maybe getting to, mm-hmm. we are now on because uh, there's no margin for procrastinating or delaying. So, talk to me a little bit. Um, let's, w- w- before we end this segment, we'll share with the viewers sort of what our ideas are moving forward in terms of topic. Sure. But Let's go right to the heart of the matter now and look at how the world has changed Mm -hmm. from March of 2019 to January of 2021. Is there, is there, is there an easy answer to that? Uh, I'll give you the, the, um, the piece that I think is the most impacted is uh, anxiety levels. We've already been, you know, talking about and doing some shows around, you know, the idea of anxiety and the impact, stress, things like that on teenagers, on families, on adults. Uh, But I can say from March um, till about June, the numbers of um, referrals for anxiety were off the charts. And a big part of it was as as COVID hit, um, it was a very acute immediate impact, you know, where lives were changing. Um, People were afraid of getting the disease. You know, there's fear around people's health and what's happening to other people that you care about and love, what could happen. That's ripe uh, breeding ground for anxiety. Anxiety is typically things that we are thinking about in the future, about what could happen that's bad. Um, Depression tends to be a little bit more about what's happened in the past, um, just as a simple way of explaining that. And so, you know, nobody knew what the future was going to bring then. It just was shocking that this was happening, that it meant, are we going to come together as a community? And are we all going to sort of like put masks on all at once? Are we going to feel like a connection as a result of this? Or are we feeling disconnection? And in the beginning, Um, it was extreme disconnection. Things were, there was a lot of loss. Changes were happening very quickly and it's hard to sort of keep up with the idea of that. Um, I'd say after uh, June, 
May, June is when we started to see even more numbers of depression increasing because the fear was when is this going to end or shift? And it started, um, you know, to feel like, are we even going to have be dealing with this in fall? Yeah, I think so. I think we are. You know, that started setting in and people were like, how long is this going to happen? I think people can get through most, most things with the idea of light at the end of the tunnel, but that this is only temporary. But once it started setting in of how long, this is going to be longer than months. This is, is this going to be years? You know, the questions like that started um, right. really leading to a lot more ruminating and going down rabbit holes of thought. And so there was a combination we found from that point forward, definitely around August timeframe, that it was a combination of anxiety and depression and some trauma because of things that have happened, either loss of loved ones, health issues of, um, you know, the impact of COVID, just the idea of all the other things that were affected people's jobs, temporarily being out of work, yes. permanently feeling out of work, um, changes of of kids in the springtime immediately coming home and having to triage and instantly make shifts, that was a ton of anxiety. And then in the fall, a little bit different, um, there were a lot of changes that people needed to make and a lot of stress around daily routines and schedules and work, people who still had work, feeling like, um, how can I do both of these roles, do my job and homeschool? And that um, compounded with the idea of I don't know if there's a vaccine in sight or any other kind of um, light at the end of the tunnel. How long can we do this for? That's when the depression hit again. So there's been a lot of patterns. Like sort of peaks and valleys of yeah. So So let's give me the luxury of um, looking at things sort of uh, one aspect at a time. Sure. What happens with, you're a family therapist, so you deal exactly. with people across the age span. Yes. So when we look at each of these topics, so for instance, let's look at the topic of illness. I mean, obviously COVID is, uh, is an illness. Um, how, how does that manifest itself? What does, what does anxiety over illness look like? Or how is it similar or different if you're 6, 46, or 86? How does, how does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, just... Clarifying, as you mentioned, I'm a therapist. I was trained in psychology background and licensed in marriage and family therapy background. So the specialty area that I'm coming from is the idea that it's systems theory. It's the idea that one person affects another, that we're part of larger systems and those systems like school, um, community, they affect us and we affect it. And so the interrelatedness of all of it is really um, a lot what I end up looking at in trying to um, support change and create health, you know, healthier situations. So in this scenario, I think it's important as you're asking developmentally, how does this impact, if impact people? We're noticing there are some subpopulations that are impacted more. Um, younger people are impacted more with the anxiety uh, piece of things, as well as women in particular. Um, there's also a subpopulation of um, first responders and those in the food service industry. Mm -hmm. And we're also noticing um, an impact specifically around um, those who are caring for an adult 
who is in need of care, whether that be because of COVID or aside from COVID, um, but those adults- sort of the, the vulnerable population, so exactly, to speak. Exactly, exactly right. Um, it, those are the populations that are being hit hardest just off the top of my head in terms of anecdotally, but yeah. also a lot of the research coming out is, is supporting that those are the populations hardest hit. As far as anxiety in particular with age, um, you know, I think, it, it depends on demographics like age. It depends on personality as well. Mm -hmm. We can get into some of those specifics, but it's, um, it's personality, it's lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of factors going into this. And I think it would be important for us to talk about some of those pieces to then put in context. Yeah, the, the patterns with age, but these other pieces are really showing themselves to be uh, really related. Right. So, so from, um, from your perspective, what do you see as the biggest challenges that are out there? Um, I think it's a combination of what was already existing. So if we could talk a little bit about mental health before COVID, yep. mental health after, I mentioned that um, anxiety, depression, OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder under the anxiety uh, umbrella, mm -hmm. and PTSD, which is also trauma related under the anxiety umbrella, um, increase in suicide and um, substance misuse, those were high numbers before they're even higher. Those are the ones that are even higher now. Right. Um, how people are coping, uh, you know, there's, there are ways that people can cope with healthy coping mechanisms and then unhealthy coping mechanisms. So uh, the increase in substance misuse obviously being an unhealthy coping mechanism. Some people are um, really focusing on how to invest in themselves and improve in themselves. And that is really, um, that's the population that seems to be faring the best right now. Yeah, um, and those, that's not the population that we hear about in the newspaper. In the press, what we hear about is how liquor store uh, sales are through the roof. And, uh, you know, everybody talks about the, the COVID-19 pounds. Uh, yeah. those, are, those are not really healthy coping mechanisms. They're not healthy coping mechanisms. And to your point, the more we hear about that in the media, the harder it is for us to um, identify. It, it's, it just adds to the fear aspect of things, you know, that this is all bad. And, and there's a lot of challenges, no doubt about that. Obviously, like I was saying, the mental health, state of mental health is um, more challenged than ever. Also, you know, some of the benefits coming out of it as, as we were talking about the idea that we're doing telehealth through mental health um, in this state, it wasn't happening really uh, in the same way by any stretch the way that it is now. Right. So in some senses, access is greater, but there's still not more providers, you know, so the bottlenecking of that is really challenging. Um, but there's benefits of the social media, of, of technology, of all of that, um, but then there's negative Im implications when people are, especially in the beginning, around um, all of this coming out, the political process that was taking place and the Black Lives Matter movement, there were just a lot of layers um, and some people were just feeling so overwhelmed by the amount of um, information that just felt uh, felt negative and felt... Oh yeah, it was uh, a perfect storm of... Yeah. Uh, of angst, really, when we talk about 
people being scared to death over this pandemic. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting because I've used the word scared myself more recently, uh, it, referring to March and April, saying that in March and April, I felt scared. Mm, in December, exactly. I feel prepared. Ah. The behaviors don't necessarily look all that different. Maybe yeah. uh, the degree to which you know, I worry about going to the grocery store is less now because we've discovered that the grocery store is probably a place that you're unlikely to pick up COVID. Um, but I think that, yeah, that the, um, the politicization, politicization of it, uh, it was exceptionally unfortunate. I mean, the idea that taking on racism and uh, inequality and the threats of, of political fraud and corruption, the whole voter issues. All of it. Um, all of it was happening at a time when people were saying, don't go near each other, stay out of crowds, put your mask on. So sometimes I wonder if some of that frustration wasn't born from um, not necessarily the mask wearing itself, yeah, but that everything was hitting at the same time. And it seemed like we were being told that you couldn't do anything. Just stay in your house, hunker down and don't move. For sure. And that mimics the idea of um, at the sort of root of mental illness is the idea of hopelessness and stuckness. And, right. you know, it just again, it was a breeding ground for that. You're Isolation. Right. Yes. Isolation. Isolation. You know, and it depends on, again, the lifestyle um, the demographic, the personality, there's a lot of factors, but the lifestyle one, if you're stuck with people that you enjoy being stuck with, you know, right. some people have really felt like, um, their connections have increased in some ways and they do feel like there are, um, some benefits mm -hmm. of having things a little bit simpler, um, being able to maybe even make efforts to connect with family members even more through zoom or some other, you know, uh, medium, yeah. but then you have the populations who are already isolated and lonely people living on their own single people or younger, uh, people like college age, uh, was really hit by this loneliness factor. Mm -hmm. Um, and grandparents, I'm yeah, putting a plug in for grandparents. Yep. No doubt about that. Those are the populations that, um, the loneliness piece really exacerbated some of the other um, layers that were already existing. People mm -hmm. with pre-existing sort of aspects to this, it just amplified it. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't think I had uh, nearly enough awareness of how many families are impacted mm -hmm. by the pre-existing conditions yes. of, other, uh, of either other family members or perhaps close friends. Mm -hmm. uh, because I know a whole lot of healthy people that have really curtailed all of what they're doing yeah. in deference to their parents, their in-laws, their the neighbor that they take care of, or their friend that is undergoing chemo exactly. or has some sort of chronic immune system issue or... Yeah just brings all of that right to the surface of, you know, what it is that we're impacted by. And, um, 
you know, the loneliness factor has been a major one in terms of tied, tied with depression. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are the folks that I think the more we feel isolated, the more we isolate. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that that's what we're wanting to do. It's just that, you know, it sort of uh, takes on a life of its own to a degree. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were people in the early sort of spring, mid spring, I had folks who were saying, you know, I feel like I haven't even just driven in my car very recently. You know, part of normalcy was it while still feeling safe, if you will, was get in your car by yourself and just go for a drive, even though you don't have to. Right. Um, it was sort of like this fear of, am I going to learn, lose the, um, ability to ride a bike, you know, yeah. Kind of yeah, mentality. Yeah. can, if I get back on the bike, will I know what I'm doing. And there's a little aspect to that with um, like logistic things as well as social kind of fear around, am I going to lose some of my social ability? Um, all sorts of things start opening up, you know, when we Diane, start. What the, I don't mean to, uh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by your sort of bird's eye view Mm -hmm. Because you deal with so many different people and, and, and different families, um, and also because you're clinically trained, um, I, I'm fascinated by the judgment aspect of COVID. Because when you talk about isolation, when, when I talk about, you know, sick family members and, and friends, yeah. We're doing it from sort of a dispassionate point of view because it's not affecting us personally in the moment. Right. But there have been situations that I've been aware of uh, where, you know, neighbors have struggled because one family has mm -hmm. felt that remaining isolated and their kids not interacting with anybody is absolutely the way to go. And the family next door who have been close friends for any number of years, their little ones are out ringing the bell saying, let me in, let me in. Yeah. And um, how, how, does, how does a community manage that kind of thing? I mean, how do you take someone's need to remain isolated or to mm -hmm. distance themselves and counterpoint that with somebody who thinks that... Um, it's unnecessary at this point. How, what do we do about that? Yeah, it's a really great question. It came, it came up a lot, still comes up. Um, I noticed a, a sort of macro shift over time. We mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the idea that in the beginning, I think even globally, certainly in our country, in our state, in our town, you know, all the different layers, it was sort of like, um, different pockets were wearing masks and some weren't just as an example. Now, pretty much most of the time where, where you go, people are sort of like coming together and doing that the majority. So again, I feel like some, some people are noticing and experiencing, they're feeling more connected as a community to kind of combat this mm -hmm. because there's a, everyone's sort of doing this together, but then you have these other disjointed sort of areas that you're describing where from home to home or family to family, even within family, that's challenging, right? When you have right. one spouse, for example, who has one thought or opinion on this and another, you know, there's a lot of belief system pieces that start being impacted, um, like justice, like what is our responsibility? Where does this start and end? You know, it opens up a whole lot of, um, thoughts about it. And there's not always a lot of dialogue that goes with it. Um, that's part of what's important is that 
um, you know, when a lot, again, a lot of emotion, a lot, of, a emotion, lot of dialogue, a lot of emotion. And that's the thing is that, you know, those with more coping strategies or, or um, have actually been addressing some of this in their relationships or for themselves in areas of growth, I think are faring better than people who haven't. So in other words, those clients who had been coming in to sort of like address the anxiety they've been struggling with, those were the ones early on who were like, Whew, welcome to my world. This is what I've been dealing with like for so long. I feel prepared. Like I feel more prepared. Oh, right. To handle this. Yeah. Versus people who couldn't even relate really to what anxiety looks like or feels like. And were just hit with a ton of bricks and was like, I didn't even realize what I didn't know about the emotional aspect to it. So I, again, I think um, we have to focus on how to grow these qualities and these abilities that we have to cope with mm-hmm. stress. The people who are um, most able to learn how to tolerate distress are faring better than those who don't or haven't had a strong ability to be resilient or, or tolerate distress. So within these family systems, you know, from household to household, judgment is a perfect word to use that is not really healthy for us in general to have judgment. Right. Judgment about somebody else is also sometimes like a mirror that we turn and it's judgment on ourselves. People with lower self-esteem are struggling more with that because they're kind of like, is am I right? Am I wrong? What should we do? What should we not? How are people viewing us? Mm -hmm. Um, So here's the part that I feel like is really interesting. And and we could go off on this, you know, easily um, that there's this aspect to mental wellness that is, if I could sort of like talk about the inner circle of this is our authentic self Mm -hmm. and people who know what their authentic self is and, and can live in that space, meaning Um, how they view themselves matches with how they present with others. And there's kind of like a a clarity around that, an authenticity around that. Then we have this other layer, which is um, sort of our ego layer. And we can either be sort of suppressed or we can have an inflated ego. And I think we know what inflated ego looks like, you know, um, how that comes across. Deflated ego is more on that lower self-esteem end. What we're going for is somewhere in the middle where we have some balance with our ego. I mean, obviously it can shift a bit, but if we're really under um, and and we're suppressed, that is going to lead more towards self-esteem issues and more judgment Mm -hmm. about others and about ourselves. So then you have another layer beyond that, which is the persona layer. And those persona layers are what we try and present to other people, what we think they want to see. Mm -hmm. And people who are living in those persona layers are struggling more than ever through this pandemic. And in trying to present, this is how I think people want me to do this. But if it's in conflict with how they actually think they should do it, that's wreaking havoc internally, right? And then you have the greatest layer is the outer layer of how people actually view us which to be honest, we can never control or have an impact on how people actually view us. Even if we ask them, right, what's your opinion of my decision not to wear a mask or to wear a mask or to, you know, not go to a restaurant where we eat inside versus outside or, you know, all these different things. um, There's no way we'll ever be able to know. But if we put effort and energy into those outer layers and not into that authentic self layer, right, we're going right. to struggle in one fashion or another, and we're going to become symptomatic in one fashion or another. 
so it's a long answer to your question, um, but it brings up a lot of internal conflict. Well, I, I, it, it, it's not, it's a fascinating answer to, to the question. And I think it's probably an answer that we could do 28 minutes of BCTV on. So uh, Diane, let me, let me just share with the audience sort of what our uh, thought process has been to this point and where we go from here in terms of this show, which we call Heads Up. Um, So you and I have brainstormed some topics that uh, sort of bubble up on a regular basis within families, with school-age children, whatever, everything from how to build resiliency, how to manage grief and loss, Mm. uh, showing care and concern for other people. We have, uh, in fact, I'm looking at... but what to keep from COVID? What to what, what? What kind of things do you learn from COVID? How does COVID make you better? Yeah. Um, guidelines for communication on connecting in your community on knowing yourself, as you said, from your authentic self to your outer presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have sort of thought, and you jump in here and amend me at any point. Uh, we have thought that we would probably choose a topic and do an episode on it. Yeah, yeah. And it would be really nice to hear from viewers just to, you know, I have a sense and you have a sense for what would um, hit hit a lot of the areas that it would be helpful. Uh, but I also think it would be great if we could hear from viewers who have an opinion on, you know, I'd love to hear more about this or more about yeah. that. Um, I'll say that what we're not doing is providing therapy. We're really just trying to provide um, some psychoeducation and some um, attention to certain subject matters that, uh, you know, again, reaching a broader base than what we can do sort of like one conversation at a time individually. Right. But um, yeah, I would love to hear from the viewers as well uh, on, you know, how anything. Would you, that how, would you, how would you like that to happen? Do you envision people emailing you or uh, letting the TV station know? I'm imagining letting the TV station know. And um, we would then be able to sort of like um, really support the idea of if there's multiple people who are looking to hear more about this idea of, of what are some of the um, best ways for coping with stress? What are some of the sort of um, signs that a person is really, really struggling? Um, I think being able to, um, in general, what are some of the ways of achieving uh, mental wellness? You know, maintaining mental wellness is a really important thing that I don't think we talk a lot about. Um, we talk a lot about mental illness, you know, and, and what symptoms and diagnoses are, but we don't really talk a lot in our society about what does mental wellness look like and how can we support that not only in ourselves, but in others. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of, um, ways it can kind of go this direction or this direction, not that binary, but, you know, with the idea of increasing, um, stress through COVID times, even just as an example, the more people ruminate, 
and go down rabbit holes with their thoughts. You know, there are ways of interrupting that. There are strategies for how we can get in front of that. There are even ways that we can just call ourselves out um, on the idea that most of the time our thoughts are not accurate. <laughs> most of the time, you know, and just right. really be aware of how we can be more observers to our thoughts mm-hmm. and how that helps during COVID times and non-COVID times. Um, you know, being okay, able to- so can I, can I give you um, sort of, at, we're, we're drawing close to the end of our time here. Yeah. And I just want to, um, give the viewers an opportunity to contact BCTV. Perfect. Uh, the telephone number and email, I'm quite sure Bill Jennings will put that on the screen uh, yep. when he edits us in uh, <laughs> and leaves some of us on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Uh, so viewers can either call in or email in however uh, suits them best and let us know what topics are on their minds. Perfect. For next time, mm-hmm. Do you think we could give people a heads up on what anxiety actually looks like in terms of their kids? Yes. What depression looks like in terms of their kids and yeah. what kinds of things they can do as families to support this idea of mental wellness. Love that. Okay. Absolutely. We've got our next episode. I'm pretty Perfect. sure. All right. Well, listen, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I'm sure that we'll be back at it again very soon. And I hope that the new year is good to all of our viewers, to us, both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And I'll uh, see you back again in 2021. Looking forward to it, Sue. All right. Take care, care. Diane. Bye.